Turn up your volume. Because you're about to listen to The Sick Podcast with Tony Maradero. 55 seconds left in the penalty, a minute and 27 seconds left in regulation time. Boston 4, Montreal 3. Lafleur coming out rather gingerly on the right side. He gives it into Lemaire, back to Lafleur. The sickest Montreal Canadiens podcast. <laughs> there is a bomb. Sports entertainment like no other. Rejoint, on lui fait perdre la rondelle une passe devant. Et c'est la victoire des Canadiens. You found the dogs, John. You found the dogs. He found the dogs. And all together, they worked the young team to the top. And now, a 24th Stanley Cup banner will hang from the rafters of the famous forum in Montreal. The Canadians win the Stanley Cup. Brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground. Your premier gaming destination. It's going to be sick. It's the Sick Podcast. I'm Marinero on this Tuesday, November 21st. And you're watching on YouTube, you're watching on Facebook, and you are watching on Twitter. And thank you very much for watching. Tell all your friends about it, because the more people watch, the more listens we get, the more views we get. Ultimately, the more money I'm going to end up making, and everyone's going to be happy, especially me. Thank you for playing along, and thank you for supporting. I very much appreciate it. My buddy Eric Engels of Sportsnet and Sportsnet.ca is already in California, I would imagine, where the Montreal Canadiens visit the Anaheim Ducks tomorrow night. And then on Friday afternoon, it's going to be a 3.30 Eastern start for the Canadians. They're going to be in San Jose. And on Saturday afternoon, it's going to be a 4 p.m. Eastern start. They visit the Los Angeles Kings. Saturday is going to be fun because for the most part, if you're a Canadians fan, usually stay home on Saturday night. You watch the Montreal Canadiens play. But when they play an afternoon game, you get to watch the afternoon game. The game will be over probably give or take at around 6.45 p.m. Eastern. You can book the supper reservations, take the misses out, and everyone's happy, happy wife happy life joining me right now eric engels what's going on everything's good i am in california and it's sunny and beautiful there isn't a cloud in the sky and i'm uh you know what i'm in the hotel i'm talking to you because uh, yeah. you are number one priority for me uh thank you very much i very much appreciate that you say that now because your girlfriend's not with you but if your girlfriend <laughs> would have been with you i'm not so sure you would have told me that anyway we got some news from montreal canadians camp and, of course, what we saw a year ago seems to, and two years ago seems to be happening again this year. The Canadians had some bad news early on in the season where they lost Kirby Doc. He was out for the remainder of the season. They lost David Savard back on October 23rd. They've had a few guys go down with injuries here or there. Caden Gooley went down at one point. A few guys miss a couple of games. And earlier today, the Montreal Canadiens sent out a note regarding Raphael Arvey-Pinard and another one regarding Jordan Harris. Forward Raphael Arvey-Pinard sidelined for six to eight weeks with a lower body injury. Uh, they made that official at 2 p.m. earlier today. And three hours later, they told us that they recalled defenseman Matthias Norlander from the Laval Rocket and placed Jordan Harris on injured reserve. Now, the Canadians, of course, keeps keep injuries like every NHL teams do, very tight to the vest. Is there anything you can tell us regarding RHP and Jordan Harris? 
Yeah, I just think in RHP's case, you know, we saw we saw the injury happen. Uh, was it against Vegas? I can't remember which team they were playing. It all blends together when you're when you cover all these games. But there was a game. Was it Vegas or Arizona or St. Louis? I can't remember. It was on that trip, um, and he just uh, took a bad fall near the boards and crunched his left leg, I think. And, uh, you know, he came back in that game and tried to test it out and it didn't work out very well. And then took a couple days off and came back again. And uh, whatever it is, it lingered to the point where they had to shut it down. So he's on the sidelines. When it comes to Harris, you know, initially he had a, what's he out with now, an upper body injury? Uh, let's bring it back up. I don't even know to tell you the truth. Let's bring it back up. I, I don't even know if they said it. Uh, no, uh, they, they said it in the Hold on a uh, sec. I have it. I, have it. Right. I just don't want to misspeak here. I, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, they probably put it on. Well, okay, yeah. He originally had an upper body injury. Okay. He took, you know, he played the next game against Vancouver. He suffered against Boston then played against Vancouver. Then he had to take a night off. He took a couple of days off. I remember I spoke to him in the room. Jack guy went down. I said, wow, you know, like, I'm not surprised to see you're suddenly healthy now that Jack guy's out. And mm-hmm. he said, and you know what, I just, I really, those couple of days were very beneficial for me to take some rest uh, away from practice. And now I feel good now. He was good from that. And then he suffered an injury, an upper body injury against Boston. So not the same thing. And I guess, you know, he was hoping that it wouldn't be too bad. It took the trip to California, but Clearly woke up in some discomfort, and the Canadians decided, okay, let's get this tested out. So he's on his way back to Montreal. Yes, the injuries are hitting again. Jack I, Harris, Savard, three of the top six defensemen on the team. Yeah. That's a tough hand to deal with, but that's what it is. That's that's if the you, game. If you take a look at opening night, 50% of the decor is out right now. That's right. Yeah, three, yeah. six divided by three is 50%. Yeah, there you go. You see, and we're even getting good at math uh, in the sick podcast. Not too shabby, huh? All right. I'm curious to see Matthias Norlander, who's been called up, because at one point there was some question whether or not he was going to have a future after all with the Montreal Canadiens, and that still remains to be seen. But he came in and he had a pretty good camp. I mean, they cut him right at the end there, and you know what? He could have, he could have made this team. It was that close. And I want to see if he's able to get in there, and if so, what he can show us, because here's a real good opportunity, and the Canadians, I mean, if you can help them win hockey games, you're going to score points with Marty St. Louis, because of course, they've lost four in a row now. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see if he does get in. I mean, I I don't think they're beholden to Lindstrom playing in the lineup, but you have to think that he's probably getting the call against Anaheim. I think Jaden Strubel will be making his NHL debut. I know his family's coming out to Anaheim, and he was the first one called up here. And they bring different elements, just like Jack Eye brings a physical element and Strubel does, and Jack Eye's out and Strubel can help supplant that. Uh, Norlander brings a certain uh, offensive ability uh, perhaps even more so than Harris does and brings different elements of the game there. And if they feel uh, that they need to change at one point or another, it's good to have different types of players and different types of options. I think one way or the other, you know, between Anaheim, San Jose, Los Angeles, Columbus, I think you're going to see both of those players play and good for them. They're getting some valuable experience at the NHL level. Speaking of change, uh, you're going to see some change on the forward lines because that's something that we also saw earlier today. The Montreal Canadiens put up on their Twitter handle, let everyone know, hey, we made some changes to the lines. Let's take a look at what the forward lines are going to look like now. 
and Yellow Sammy and Juliana Master Control. Thank you very much. Suzuki has Newhook on his left, and now Brendan Gallagher on his right. Dvorak still in between Slavkovsky and Caulfield, even though the entire city is asking for Monaghan, who is still on, quote-unquote, a third line, if you want to call it that, with Anderson to his left and Pearson on his right, and Jake Evans with Ulanen on his right and Pozzetta on his left. As you see from the Canadian Twitter handle as well, a series of rotations on defense, Baron, Gouli, Kovacevic, Lindstrom, Matheson, and Struble all uh, took part in the session. But let's start with Suzuki's line mate, new line mate, Brendan Gallagher. He has five goals. He's impressed in that department. He gives you a lot of fight. We know that. It's been the story of his career. Um, there have been some setbacks as well, some bad penalties by Gallagher. He leads the Canadians or he leads the National Hockey League in a category that's that's not a category you want to lead in, but we'll get to that a little bit later as well. Why do you think this has happened? Why do you think Gallagher's on a line with Suzuki? I think it can work. That's one of the reasons. I think if you look at Suzuki's numbers away from Caulfield, he's the one who struggled a bit more in terms of generating expected goals, shot attempts, all that stuff, control of the game, more than Caulfield has. Um, big part of that is probably the matchups, you know. But the Canadians are on the road. They're looking to get depth and balance in their lineup. And Gallagher, you can talk about the things he does well, that he's always done well, and that those are clearly you know, coming out a lot more in the game right now in terms of his ability to forecheck and get to the front of the net. But I think he's evolved a lot under Marty St. Louis. And I don't know how closely people watch this, but look at the plays he makes coming up the ice. Look at the passes he makes through the neutral zone. Look at some of the plays he makes in the offensive zone, where he goes on the ice when he's not the first four checker, what he's able to do as the second four checker. These were things that if you, you went back over the last year and a half, it really took a fair amount of time for him to adopt these concepts and add them to his game and start playing a more well-rounded, evolved style of game that now appear to be second nature in his game. And I think that's a big part of the reason why you're seeing a lot more of the Gallagher of old. I, I think, you know, his ability to get on the forecheck as the first guy and get to the net as a consistent presence there, I think he's able to get more to that game now than he was over the last year and a half with St. Louis or the year and a half prior to the season because he's no longer thinking about what he needs to do on the ice. It's happening. And... I don't know how closely people pay attention to the evolution of his game, but I see a lot of it. And whether I see it or you see it or anybody else sees it, Gallagher sees it and St. Louis sees it. So I think that's critical. I, if you would have told me a year ago they're going to put Gallagher on this line with Suzuki and Caulfield, now it's New Hook that's there, I would have said, I don't really know if that's going to work. But the right now, I think it really could help the Canadians. All right, okay, you, you, you brought up the forecheck. It's one of the things Marty St. Louis talked about at the end of the game on Saturday night when asked basically why the Canadians couldn't get going and what the difference was in the hockey game. He brought up the forecheck. He said they weren't able to sustain a real good forecheck. They weren't able to sustain a team forecheck. They were, uh, they were late to the puck carrier. They were late on the forecheck. Uh, they couldn't get in lanes. They couldn't get proper positioning. How does this team want to forecheck? You get the feeling, listening to St. Louis, he wants it to be an aggressive two-man forecheck, but then again, he talked about times where 
They don't manage the risk well. Has he gone into detail as to what he expects from his forecheck? Yeah, I think when it comes to managing the risk, he's more talking about puck decisions, uh, specifically from his defensemen to decisions on when to hold the line and notice that, you know, do you have back pressure if you're going to try and make a play at the line? Or So when he's talking about risk management, I think he's more talking about with the puck. When he's talking about the forecheck, he's talking about without it. And one of the things he said today after gearing two practices very specifically to the forecheck, which was the main theme of today's media availability, mm-hmm. he said, you're not going to steal a lot of pucks for checking space. You have to forecheck people. And he felt this was the biggest issue that they had in their game against Boston, and he attacked it. And I, I think it shows an evolution with St. Louis. If you go back 11 months ago, the Canadians went through a spell where they lost like 11 of 12 games. And coming out of it, I don't know how much people remember this, St. Louis was talking about how he learned not to let things slip to a degree where it creates such a problem that he learned that you have to attack it immediately when you notice something. is mm-hmm. off. And that is what he is doing right now. The Canadians are in a four game skid following a sequence where he felt they played very good hockey, even though they got 50% of the results on their side. Mm-hmm. He sees a specific issue that has slipped and he is attacking it. And I watched the way he conducted these two proc practices and I looked at Monday's practice where a lot of people saw the punitive elements of it. They saw players doing a bag skate at the end of the skate. They saw one-on-one battle drills. But when I asked him about that yesterday, what he said was, we're not just working for the sake of working. There was a purpose to what we were doing on the ice too. Mm -hmm. It was geared towards something specific. And today he made it very clear that what it was specifically geared towards and especially watching them practice today and the things they did was the forecheck. As far as how they want to forecheck, Tony, I don't know if it's a standard one-man, two-man operation or whatever it is, but he wants the first four-checker to be hard on the puck carrier, and he wants the second four-checker in a place where that first four-checker is forcing a player to make a play to that space where that second four-checker is. So I think he wants things a little bit tighter. Yeah, He wants the players to make the appropriate reads based on what they think the opposition should be doing based on like the options that they're being given by that forecheck. So yeah. there was a lot of instruction at practice. There was a lot of video work and a lot of writing on the whiteboard and then running through it in practice. And I think St. Louis deserves credit for attacking something that he sees as the main issue immediately instead of, oh, we got, you know, he said today, can we play better in our own zone? Sure. Can we play better in the neutral zone? Sure. But you have to attack something specific instead of everything if you want it to resonate. And I think we're seeing that. So St. Louis says you have to attack the player and uh, instead of attacking the space. That's right. Based on what you've seen, how would you evaluate the team speed? Because you have to get there. I don't have it. I don't think from an individual basis, the Canadians are a fast team. You know, whether or not they play fast is dependent on them executing those things that we're talking about. If you don't forecheck effectively and you don't put yourself in the right positions to force the other team to make a play that plays right into your hand, you're going to lose. And they let Boston do whatever they wanted coming up the ice. Mm-hmm. Forecheck is not just in the offensive zone, it's your attention to detail in the neutral zone as well, to stop the play from ever getting to your own zone. That comes down to 
the players being connected, it comes down to them being in the right space to read off the four, first four checker. If you're doing a four check effectively, you have the first guy angling a guy towards your second guy. That's that's what you're doing. You're 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 having you're playing. Marty St. Louis likes to talk about playing chess, and in chess, you make moves setting your opponent up into a trap, and that's that's exactly what four checking is. And so you ask about team speed. Yep. Look at the individuals. I mean, Josh Anderson, uh, Alex Newhook, uh, Cole Caulfield, um, uh, even Gallagher. If you look at his speed uh, uh, data, which is available, easily available on uh, on the NHL's Edge Player and Puck Tracking, he has speed bursts over twenty miles an hour. Like they're not a they're not slow individually, but you can be made to look pretty slow if you don't do things the right way and if you're not connected. All right. So I I asked you about. Gallagher making his way on the line with Suzuki and Newhook. And one of the things you said to me is Gallagher is very, very good on the forecheck. Then you talked about Gallagher's uh, game has uh, developed um, and it's grown and it's evolved over the last couple of years. And now all of a sudden things that he was thinking about are becoming natural to him. There's another thing. I think there's another reason why I think some of the changes were made. Um, And one of which is um, Gallagher and Monaghan, uh, for whatever reason, are not doing well in one stat in particular since the 1st of November. And I was on TVA Sports earlier this evening, and uh, we were given this graphic right here. Uh, among the worst plus minuses of all the players in the National Hockey League since the 1st of November, 697 players, Monahan minus 10, Gallagher minus 12. So Gallagher's got the worst plus minus since November 1st, and Monaghan's got the fourth worst plus minus since November 1st. Have you, before even bringing up these stats, have you seen this? I mean, I didn't see these specific stats, and obviously plus minus is, uh, you put it in a category of five players being on the ice, but there's something to it when the numbers are that extreme, and it's the, a line of three players that are together for a lot of goals being scored against. I think if you would have looked at those numbers through the first month of the season, they'd be like number one and two in the NHL. They didn't get scored on. They had yeah. Monaghan, Monaghan for, for over 100 minutes, for the first first 100 minutes on the ice this season, yeah. didn't get scored on at five on five. Um, <clears throat> there, there's another reason to explain the stat as well, because they also, know, their, their goalies in the first half of these 18 games were stopping a lot more pucks than they have in the second half of these last yeah, games, of course. Yeah, I, I mean, look, the dam was going to break eventually. That line yes. that's depended on uh, for defensive zone starts just about more than any other line on the team. Uh, and when the team is not going well, I mean, the, 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 there's no sugarcoating it. That line needed to be separated with the way it was it's been going since the beginning of November. Those stats support that. Um, what's interesting to me about it is Gallagher used to be the guy on this team that anytime you needed to spark another line, he was the guy who was moving. And it's taken a long time to get back to that status, and now he's there. Uh, and I think he deserved to be there, regardless of what that statistic says. Uh, I, I expect him to have a positive impact on the line with Suzuki and Newhook. The rest of the lineup is is interesting too, you know. Like you you talk about Monaghan, um, you know, the the Canadians were rightfully 
depending on him for virtually everything yeah. uh, since the beginning of the season. But he's coming off a season where he played just 25 games and had surgery, and he was playing 20 minutes a game. Yeah. And uh, catches up to you a little bit, especially with the frequency in which the Canadians were playing for sure. beginning of November and uh, the quality of the opposition they were facing. And I don't, I don't agree right now with the idea of swapping Dvorak and Monaghan. Let's bring up the lines one more time if we can so people can have them in front of them as we're talking about it. So once again, Dvorak is in between Slavkovsky and Caulfield and Monaghan is with Pearson and Anderson. Tell me why you don't agree with swapping Monaghan and Dvorak because it seems like most of Montreal Canadiens land, and I'm talking about fans, pundits, most people want to see Monaghan play with Slavkovsky and Caulfield because... Um, 18 games in or whatever it is, 18 games in, he has not played with those two players yet. So why don't you want to see? Well, he took shifts with Slavkovsky last game, for sure. Yeah. Um, why don't I want to see it? Yeah. And why is that opinion so heavily slanted? Because a lot of people go on the body of work and uh, have an opinion that they believe is written in ink about Christian Dvorak. Um, but anybody who's objectively watched Christian Dvorak, especially between those two players over the last, I don't know, five, six games, whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, he's playing really well. I, I, I don't see a problem in Christian Dvorak's game right now. He's generating a lot of chances for his line mates and some for himself too. Uh, and, and I, the numbers bear this out. Caulfield has had this puck on his stick a lot more frequently than he did when he was playing consistently with Suzuki. Part of that is the matchups. Again, he gets away from the top matchup. The other part is he doesn't have... And the top pair in the fence. He won't depend on Suzuki to drive the line. He'll take it upon himself to drive it a little bit. You know, all that stuff, bring it to Caulfield for a sec, like all that stuff that Marty was talking, that Gallagher was talking when I said that you know it's it's become second nature for Gallagher these evolutions in his game and he's no longer thinking about it whereas for the first year and a bit it really was something he had to think about to get there I thought he exhibited some signs of progress at the beginning of last year before he got hurt Caulfield right now is is taking on a lot more responsibility about developing his complete game the staff is working with him specifically and he is thinking a bit about those things in addition to his responsibility to score goals. But one thing I'm seeing is mm-hmm. he's taking more responsibility to drive his line in terms of getting pucks back and carrying the puck and shooting it. He's getting a ton of shots on net and sh- shot attempts, scoring chances. And part of that is because Dvorak has been good next to him. So I don't see the urgency to make that change. Now, Canadians need to score goals one way or the other. So Caulfield's got one in his last 10. Yeah, it isn't going to stay this way if if Caulfield doesn't start burying some of those chances he's getting. I mean, he's, his shooting percentage is way down from yeah. what you would expect to see it at, and I don't think that's on Dvorak or Monaghan or Suzuki or anybody else. Uh, I, I I don't. I think Caulfield is playing better hockey right now than he did when he was playing next to Suzuki at the beginning of the year. I still think they're going to be a better match together. As a, as a line uh, going down, you know, as we move forward, yeah. it's not going to be forever that they're separated. But right now, he's developing parts of his game that should make him better for when he does get back with Suzuki. And I think the the puck is going to start going in for him. I, I'm yeah. sure of that because and, that's what it's always happened with him. Yeah, and Eric, one of the things, of course, regarding the lines, we'll bring them back up one more time, where you're going to see Monahan on your third line with Anderson and Pearson. Is that 
You know, Monaghan, when players slump, he's usually able to get them out of their slump. Um, and I think... Well, what about when he's slumping? What about when he's slumping? Yeah, well, they usually say, though, it's up to the centerman to get himself going and the centerman to make the wingers better, right? But I look, I think that part of he's, the reason he's why... Gotta, he's got to do that a bit right now. Yeah, part of the reason why you see Gallagher with Suzuki as well, and Anderson's not going to be playing with him, is they wanted to get Anderson next to Monaghan for a couple of reasons. And then one of those reasons as well, besides Monaghan, is also, once again, matchups. You get a player who just went from a first line uh, to a third line. He's been on the second line as well, but now he's on the third line. And third lines usually go up against third lines or fourth lines. They usually go up against second pairings or third pairings. The matchups are going to be better with Anderson. And I think St. Louis really wants to get Anderson going. Uh, He wants him to get his first goal. And I think he's probably thinking the best way to do that is to put him in a situation where A's got Monaghan and B's got better matchups. It'll happen. It'll happen. And meanwhile, people are going to get stuck on the fact that that graphic has Pearson wearing number 90. Anyways, let's forget about that. But what do you think about Dvorak? What do you think about what I said about Dvorak? Do you see this for yourself, that he's playing good hockey right now? Uh, I see that he's playing. uh, He's playing. I don't have a problem with his game. I don't have a problem with his game. I mean, there's one... Let down, I think happened. Uh, which one was it? It was uh, was it in Boston? Uh, I don't remember who it was that uh, there was a goal that they gave up where I didn't know, but I, you know, his, his game is okay. His game is okay. It's just that Eric, if you know, and it doesn't always work out like this, but if you poll people, anybody, and you ask them who's a better player between the Vorak and Monaghan, they're going to tell you Monaghan. And if well, no, we're not a debate to be had right now. Not really. But are people are people able to recognize when a player that they don't like or don't love their game is yeah. playing good hockey? Because it yeah, seems no, to be a he, problem in this market. He's, he's, he's playing decent hockey, but Eric, they need to get something done. Eric, they stink. They have the least regulation wins in the league. The they last time they won a game in regulation, I was skinny. It was October 23rd. They beat the Buffalo Sabres by a score of 3-1. to one. They've lost four straight hockey games. They have three less points this year after 18 games than they had a year ago. When you're in a rebuild, you're gradually supposed to get better, and that means in points and in the standings as well. This is why, if I can play devil's advocate, Eric, People want to see a little bit of change. I get, I agree with you. Dvorak, no, they want to see. It. No, no, no. They want to see the change they want. I made a joke when we tweeted out the lines. I agree with they, that. I made a joke when we tweeted out the lines from practice today that it, it doesn't matter what the lines are. Everyone hates them. It doesn't matter. Yeah, probably right. But but at the same time, like Marty made changes to three of his four lines against Boston. True. And he's making changes again yeah. to go up against Anaheim. Yeah. And, and by the way, I don't think a line change is going to deliver a win, by the way. just I have, a, I have a spoiler alert for you. They're yeah. going to change again soon. Mm-hmm. And the, the iterations of the lines of one line or another that people want to see, you're probably going to see that combination at one point or another. And you're right, Tony. They are not playing good enough hockey right now and need to play better. But what are they attacking? Are they are they saying, okay, we need to win more games, so let's go win? No, they're attacking no. the process. You have to have a good process in order to win games in this league or 
you win through a faulty process and run through all kinds of run into all kinds of problems. They don't want to take shortcuts. They want to improve the way their players think the game, manage the game, play the game. They want to improve their player's skill set. They want to improve their player's IQ. If they win, great. If they don't win, it's not the end of the world. Exactly. And we've, t- we've talked it. about this, but we've talked about this for a long I time. You talk about them having, you know, three less points after 18 games than they had you know, last year or whatever it is. But we're not judging their progress based on their results, not with where they're at in the rebuild, which is just past the infancy stage. Like, And that's been the case through good and bad that we've been saying this nonstop, that they've been saying it. Like we are looking for individual progress, team pro- progress in terms of structure, lessons learned and then applied. And, and we'll see where they're at when the season ends. Uh, are they perfect? Is Marty St. Louis perfect? No. He, he has to work on himself at being a better coach, which is something I think he's doing. It's something I mentioned of course. just now. He's not letting things slip to the point where it's, okay, let's, how do we get a win? It's, no, no, no. How, how do we make sure our process is what we want it to be for years moving forward? Uh, and I think you're seeing all kinds of development in terms of culture. I think from an individual perspective, there's a lot of players developing in Montreal and the results need to be better for that to be borne out as truth. So everybody's being evaluated on those yeah. criteria, but don't get caught up in, well, there are three points, this, and it, like, we know what they are. And one major factor, which is not an excuse, it's Kirby a reality. Doc is Kirby Doc. Of course. It, it, you know, think about... I knew they would be able to be okay short-term, but long-term, yeah. you can't survive a lot. Think, like think, think about just how much pressure comes off Suzuki with Doc available. Think about the different combination possibilities with Doc available. It's It was a central piece to be losing, not just at the position, but yeah. in terms of where Kirby was at in his development. And that is the biggest disappointment of this season and it's going to be one the whole way through because they're, he's, they're not, he's not, they're not they're not good enough or deep enough to lose a top four forward or to lose a top two d that's the reality of where they're at right now speaking of which is david savard does he mean more to this team than we probably would have thought because i brought up a stat 13 games since their last regulation win october 23rd 3-1 at buffalo that's the game savard got hurt since he's gone down and been out with the injury, they haven't won a game in regulation. Have we undervalued his importance to this team? No. We, you and me, probably not. A lot of people, yes. I think he's unheralded offensively. He's a, he's a much better player. Everyone talks about his blocking shots and his defensive zone commitment. And, and even still, a lot of people will look at his defensive game and say, well... He gets caved in from an analytics perspective. I mean, he's a he's a guy that if you put him on a Stanley Cup contender would be an elite third-pairing defenseman, but not a guy that you should be playing 23, 24 minutes a game in that situation. But it's that's the role that he has to play with the Canadians um, mm-hmm. because of the stability factor that he brings. The big question, the more important question yep. uh, is not whether or not we – don't value him the way he should be valued. The big question is, is will he be more valuable to the Canadians or will he be more valuable on the trade market? Because that's the question that's going to come about as we move forward here. And I think 
it's a harder one to answer now in his absence. The, if because I, he's if, really, if I can, the answer is always going to be he's going to be more valuable on the trade market. Why? No, 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 no. Because they're in a rebuild. Be, but in his absence right now, yeah. it's not just about wins. The process is hurt a little bit by him not being here and his veteran presence and what he brings in terms of stability to all those young guys who are graduating through the Montreal system. It's It should not be underestimated. Now, do I think his value on the market once he returns healthy and continues to be the David Savard we all know will become bigger than what his value to the Canadians could be given some of the other players they have? Mm-hmm. Yes. But that is less certain today in, in his absence and seeing what they're missing without him than it was when he was healthy and helping them win that game 3-1 against Buffalo. So mm-hmm. it's that that to me is the really interesting question because he has a year left under contract. Yeah, You're not necessarily in any type of urgent situation to move him at this year's deadline, but some team might be looking at him and saying he has a year left at $3.5 million and that is a stability that we would buy into and be willing to give up to versus renting him. And maybe you would maximize his value on the market when that time comes. So it's really, that is something that is going to yeah. become a much bigger story as we go along. Very digestible contract too. It's not like you, uh, you go out and you trade for a guy like that. Again. He brings, like yeah. you add that guy to your room, you're not upsetting anything. And in fact, you're improving it. And again, you ask the question, it is a good question. I don't, undervalue what Savard brings to yep. the Canadians. A lot of people do. And it's because A, they don't recognize how stable he is in his own end and how much of a pro he is. But they also don't recognize how unheralded he is offensively. He makes plays in the offensive zone that you should stop being surprised when he makes them. You yeah. know, he's got his patented kind of uh, toe drag and he doesn't get caught on it. He's He sells it really well. And uh, the guys absolutely love him. In Monday. They, you're talking about one of the most loved players in this locker room. So his value is significant to the Canadians. And if it's that much more on the market, we're going to find out. I asked Pierre Maguire last night the identity of this team. I don't know if you had a chance to see it or I hear didn't. it. I'd love to know. It, it's actually, it's even better that way. Because I'm going to ask you the same question. And then I want to hear what your answer is going to be. This way I can think about what Pierre's answer was, and I will talk about his answer, and then we'll basically compare notes here. Uh, what's the identity of this team? Well, the ident- identity is such a broad and general term. Like I, I need, if you're going to ask me this question, I want to know specifically, are we talking about on-ice structure? Are we talking about culture? Are we talk- like It's a really broad and all-encompassing the, the way they play? Yeah. Well, the way they play is inconsistent at this point, so it's hard to pin down what their identity is. I can. You're not down, from McGuire's answer, by the way. I can. I can pin down what the identity they're striving for is. Okay. And I can tell you that what they have within their culture will enable them to achieve it once they have the pieces in place that can help them achieve it. Because, and when I say that, I mean. That means young players maturing to a level where they are more complete as players and players coming in that continue to advance the rebuild. So do you think, without having the horses that Tampa Bay had, do you think they want to play the way the Lightning used to play when Marty used to be there or the way the Lightning play over the last couple of years and winning a couple of Stanley Cups? Is that the way you think they want to play? Yeah, but I don't think 
like the Lightning is one of, if you look at every successful team in the league, mm -hmm. they all play pretty much the same way. They're hard to play against. They possess the puck. They force you to play their game. They are in your face defensively as soon as they lose the puck, which Marty talks about a lot in terms of what he wants to establish. And one of the biggest factors in their success, if not the biggest factor, is familiarity. Go to the Bruins. Go to the Bruins. Why does it not change all that much when you lose a Bergeron, you lose a Krejci? Because some of the guys who are there and still a part of that core, Marshawn, Pasternak, McAvoy, the fam familiarity is, look at Tampa. They, they have turned over their third and fourth lines year over year over the yeah. last five years, and yeah. nothing has changed in terms of the style of play and identity that they have. It's because, and, and that's what Montreal is building. They are building a culture by which swap players in or out, and you're going to get the same thing. You're not getting it night by night right now because the Canadians have flaws in the way they're constructed, uh, and that's not, you know, that's that's because they're in transition. Yeah. Like they're... They're going away from the messes that were made towards the end of the last administration and cleaning those up and building their own structure. But one thing is certain, the culture that they have established, the amount that the players care about the team above themselves is the foundation of being able to build that on-ice identity that everyone wants to see them have. So Pierre said they're searching for that identity right now. Uh, they're not quite where they want to be. And he said what they probably want to be is a team that forces turnovers, is a team that has a quick transition game, and is a team that makes you pay the price on the counter. That's probably what they want to be because based on the horses they have, that's probably what's most attainable and most feasible. If feasible. Is it not? Yes, but let me ask you a question. Yeah. So Marty has talked about the team setting a standard and then dipping beneath it. Yeah. But you would agree that they did set a standard. When you watch the way they played against Vegas the first time, a standard was established. When you yeah. watch the way they played against Boston the first time, yes. that standard was met and exceeded, yeah. and a new standard was set. If you watch the way they played against Calgary, a game they lost, that standard was there. Even against Vancouver, in a second night of a back-to-back, -back, it was dipped below a little bit, but that was more an energy thing than it was what they were trying to do. Well, so, it was a second night in a back-to-back -back for Vancouver. I, I, don't, I, don't agree with Pierre. I don't agree with Pierre that they're searching for their identity. They know what they want their identity to be. I do agree with Pierre that they are not applying it consistently and therefore it becomes a work in progress and it, it is a work in progress and it's going to continue to be a work in progress until certain pieces get added that enable them to execute that more frequently and other ones are healthy I mean, we talked about losing yeah. that. that was massive it's just a massive loss all right so your colleague elliot friedman on his fantastic podcast which is 32 thoughts says here i am giving everybody a plug i don't even know why he's a good guy that's and it's good are you, you going to do a direct are you going to do a direct quote or can we say we're paraphrasing whatever he said uh, I, these I, things I can get 
I, I don't have a direct quote. Yeah, because these things could get twisted around pretty yes. good. So I'm going to paraphrase. I think he said something to the effect of the Canadians have a three-goalie system. Um, Montembeau and the Canadians are talking contract. It hasn't been done yet. Edmonton's going to keep an eye on that situation, try and see how it pans out because Edmonton needs a goalie. Uh, they probably lost a little bit of faith right now in Campbell, so they're trying to get another goalie to come in to bring a little bit of stability. They'll keep an eye on Primo. They'll keep an eye on Montembeau. They'll keep an eye on that, and they could be interested. I'm paraphrasing here. Maybe you could paraphrase better than that. I listened to it yesterday rather quickly. But I think what he said, without saying anything, without saying that it's concrete, Edmonton wants Montembeau. I think he said they're keeping an eye. The Canadians have three goalies. They're keeping an eye on what Montembeau is going to sign for. If he is going to sign, they're going to open, you know, they keep their ears open to hear what it's going to be type of thing. They could be interested. Something like that. Yes? No? Is that what he said? Look, here's where I'll share what I know. Yeah. I, and I and I called Elliot this morning because I wanted to hear it from the horse's mouth before I started okay. taking it from whatever gets twisted around on the internet. I will no, no disrespect no. to you because I think you yeah. summed it up pretty well. Perfect. Next time you call and give him my regards, by the way. I will. Tell the him Oilers, I give a shout out him and his podcast. Okay, I will. Um, the Oilers, yes, have been watching the Canadians and they've had a chance to watch all three goaltenders. And if you're the Oilers, Who's the one you would want the most? Of course, it's Sam Montalbo. Um, I would say the Oilers are between a rock and a hard place, but that wouldn't even accurately describe what kind of position they're in right now. I it's mean, okay, Eric. It's all about the process. <laughs> yeah, no, they're 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 in a they're they're in a, they're in a world of they're in a world of shit. Let's let's just be honest. They're about they're it. in there. This is the window, and you better win now, or else you just ruin like Connor McDavid's like, best win, years. Win now, like where the hell are they going with this team right now? I mean, if they're looking at themselves, and I'm sure they are, like they're St. Louis from 2019. Uh, like, there's a reason there was one St. Louis in 30 years. Like, yeah, they're in a real shitty place and they don't have particularly strong leverage on the trade market in fact it is completely going against them montembeau's situation with montreal is interesting he has a bit of leverage on them he's a pending ufa yeah you're, you're paying for those years i think if he was this is just my opinion i think if he was asking for what montreal was willing to pay him right now that contract would probably be done I have no, I'm not inside those negotiations. I know they're, the talks are ongoing. I have no idea if they've turned one way or another. Uh, I don't think it should be too complicated for them to get a deal done. But if they were not a part in some respect, they'd already have one signed. Correct. That's 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 the most logical thing out of, out of everything that's well, been said here is that if the term was not a lot, and the monetary value was not a lot either. It would have been done by now. So maybe it's an extra year or two, and maybe it's an extra million. So this is where they're at. Here's the thing that outside of this market probably gets a bit more buzz, uh, and even inside of this market in terms of the outside perspective gets a bit more buzz, but inside of it, I don't think the Canadians feel pressed about the three-goalie rotation. And I think a big part of that is all, all three guys have played pretty well. 
Um, I think another part of it is even if it's uncomfortable, all of them are handling it like total pros. Yeah. And they're not going to be pressed into doing anything that they don't think is the best thing for their organization. Of course. Uh, if, if the Oilers want Sam Montombo, the goaltending market only generates a, a certain type of return and, and they'd have to overpay significantly for a guy who is coming as a rental. So they have to be looking into like what they have to be wondering, like what the contract situation is, how that negotiation is going and where it might be leading if it yeah. doesn't get done with Montreal. Yeah. From Montreal's perspective, they're not going to rush into a deal with Montombo unless it's the best one for them and the goaltender if they feel he's an important part of their future, which they should because who else they got. So so let um, me let me let me leave you with this and so appreciate your time that you're taking from Anaheim because there's better things to do in Anaheim than talk to Tony Marinaro in his basement in Villa Sal. I'll tell you that right not now. Not really, by the way. It's kind of like it's kind of like Dollar Desarmo with uh, so, palm so trees, let, me, let me let me leave you with this. Your Kent Hughes, what would it take? And, and I know you're going to be realistic about it, of course, because let's be honest here. You're not going to start asking for dry settle. But what would it take uh, for you to say, okay, you know what? That's that's I can't pass on that. So as much as I like Sam and he's from here and he wants to play here and you value that. And Sam hasn't hit his ceiling yet, which is interesting as well. Um if you're Kent Hughes, what would you say would be an offer that you just, you know what, that's too good. I, I'll, I'll take it. A lot. Like, really a lot. And, like, you can go to all three goalies. I mean, I think Allen is somewhat out of the question. I mean, for a couple of reasons. One, that I'm not sure that he's the guy that the Oilers, well, I'm pretty sure he's yeah. the guy that the Oilers wouldn't be as interested in. Um, Primo, that's a heck of a gamble that they'd have to make on a guy that, even if he has a promising future and you believe in him, is improving. Uh, and Sam, like one way or the other, you look at all three, the Canadians are going to be asking for a lot for any one of them. And so, so for you, it would be a prospect. And it's a lot. It's a first-round pick. It's an offensive prospect. Uh, there's a lot that would go into something like that. But I also think that conversa and conversations have definitely happened between Edmonton and Montreal that there's, there's no, I'm sure there have been conversations. I think chances are, and they've probably discussed several iterations of things. And I would, I would assume it's, it's more than just a goaltender. Yeah. I would assume it's more than just a goaltender coming from Montreal. If, if that type of deal were to materialize, I don't see, I don't see if, I don't want to say I don't see a fit between the two teams. I just think it's it gets to a point of being unrealistic in the way yeah, you have to work. Like, hey Eric, can you imagine if Edmonton was Montreal and Montreal had McDavid and Drysital and had Nurse making all that money, and this was the window and it wasn't getting done, and they are where they are in the standings, and you and I would be talking about them right now. Oh my god! I mean, it would be it would it would be just as tough at Edmonton, just in two languages. It's it's, it's crazy. It's, it's tough time over there right now. It's crazy what's going on in Edmonton. If uh, if you thought look, if you were worried about the Canadians and were willing to hit the panic button, imagine what they're thinking in Edmonton right now. In Edmonton, they are panicking. In Edmonton, in Edmonton, they better be panicking. I'm going to leave you with a question. Yes. Who else can they get? You know, if they can't work out a deal for I don't know. 
one of these three goaltenders here. Like, who else are they looking at? They really, because they're going to get, they're they're going to have to pay from the position they're in, yeah, more than they want to to get whoever they go after. And by the way, they have to do it like right now. They 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 cannot wait another few days. Like they have to get a goaltender in oh. there right now and even yeah, if they yes, do, yeah, yeah. the reason they have to do it right now is yeah. not just to stop the bleeding yeah they have to stay that turnaround has to start right now yeah or their plans by the deadline are really going to have to change they're going to have to start moving people out and retooling this thing quickly yeah uh, look so Enjoy the next couple of games here. Anaheim tomorrow night, San Jose on Friday, and Los Angeles on Saturday. He's Eric Engels. Embrace the process. I'm Tony Marinaro. Embrace the tank. (laughs) Well, you were were complaining about the three points less than last Ah, year. Don't worry about it. No, no, no. Make them lose. Make them lose. I want want Iserman. I never watched him play, but (laughs) his family name is Iserman, even if it's spelled differently. I want him. It sounds like he's going second, so. Yeah. Uh, could I'll be, leave that to the draft prognostic. Could probably, could probably go third. Of course, uh, Celebrini is up there, and uh, Siliev, the six foot seven defenseman, is up there as well. All right, Eric, this was a lot of fun. Thanks, man. Thanks for being a good sport. We'll talk to you soon, all right? Cheers, bud. Here you have okay. it. Uh, there you have it. Eric Engels of Sportsnet, Sportsnet.ca. Marinaro, want to thank all of our partners. Energy Transportation Group, once again, a leading full-service logistics provider serving all of North America, driven to be different. I want to thank Labitta TBE, brewed in Quebec, a winner of a dozen international awards. They offer quality microbrewery beers made with premium ingredients for everyone's taste. Labitta TBE, embrace your true nature. And I want to thank Playground, over 600 machines, poker tournaments, and playground casino games. Daily promotions and unmatched customer service. Why go anywhere else? Located just over the Mercier Bridge, only minutes from downtown Montreal. Speaking of which, that's where we're going to be on Saturday, December 16th. We've told you to save the date. Save it. We're going to get together. We're going to watch the Canadians and the New York Islanders on a TV somewhere in Playground. We're going to munch on a brochure. You can have a beverage while you're playing the slots or whatever you're playing. We'll keep you posted. We'll give you more information on that. For Agnello, Juliana, and Sammy at Master Control, they're Cavallaro. I'm Marinero. And that's a wrap. Hope you don't miss us too much until next time. Follow the Sick Podcast with Tony Marinero on YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. The Sick Podcast is brought to you by Energy Transportation Group. Driven to be different. La Vida TV. Embrace your true nature. And Playground, your premier gaming destination.